it's really been on my heart to preach a Father's Day message. And I was thinking, who would I speak on? And I would speak about a man by the name of Daniel. We've all heard about Daniel. And what a powerful impact this man had on his generation. He was a man of integrity. And this morning, I'd like to share with you the four marks of integrity that Daniel had in his life. And so with this message, I want this message to be an encouragement to you. I want it to be an encouragement to you that we will all be the Daniels in our generation. So what I'd like for you to do is turn to Daniel, the sixth chapter. If you open your book to the middle of the Bible, you'll find Psalms. And go to your right with Isaiah and Jeremiah Ezekiel, then you will find the book of Daniel. And you'll find Daniel, the sixth chapter. And at this writing, you are going to find that Daniel is about 80 to 90 years of age. He's been exiled. And he's now living under the Media Persian Empire. So that's, that's the situation. And you've heard this story many times. But I would like for you to look at it from this perspective. As we read this passage, would you please look and see if you can find the four marks of integrity of Daniel. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as followers. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials, and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish the statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God, and then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, 
for 30 days just to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you sign, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, in whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. Father, I thank you for your word, how it gives us understanding. Father, I just pray that through your word, you will teach us. Show us, Father, show us those four marks of Daniel. Not that we might just learn it, but Father, that we might apply it to our lives and and that we'll live it out. And that, Father, we as men will be the husbands, will be the fathers, and yes, even the grandfathers that you've called us to be. Father, I know this message is not just for us, but it's for everyone that's here. So, Father, I just pray that you'll teach us, teach us from your word. These things we ask in your son's name. Amen. Well, before we get into chapter 6, let's find out a little bit about Daniel. Where he came from, what time period, and so forth. So we can have a greater understanding of what he's going through in Daniel, the sixth chapter. You'll recall when Pastor John took us through Joshua. Right after Joshua, there was the time of the judges. And then the people cried out, we want a king. And you remember, Saul was the first king, wasn't he? And then came David, and then came Solomon. And then after Solomon, there was a civil war. Rehoboam versus Jeroboam. And then we now have a divided kingdom. In the north, you'll see in the map, was Israel. The ten tribes of Israel were in the north, and their home city was Samaria. At the bottom, you'll see Judah. That's their capital was Jerusalem. There were two tribes there, Judah and Benjamin. It is from this, at the very end of the divided kingdom, that Daniel was born into. All of the, most of the kings were bad kings. Only a few during that entire divided kingdom in Israel and in Judah were good kings. So Daniel, he grew up in a society that was walking away from God. They were serving false idols. And so at that time, in 721 BC, here comes Assyria from the northeast, and they conquered Israel. So Judah is only left. Then here comes King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. And now it's the Babylonian Empire. And now it is 606 BC. He comes 
And you'll notice the green area is the Babylonian Empire. Daniel is living there in Canaan to your left. He's going to take some young men and he's going to ship them to Babylon. And Daniel was one of those young men. He might have been just a young teenager. And he took some other men, young men with him. Well, a few years later in the Babylonian Empire, they took Ezekiel and some other young men. And then sadly to say, a few years after that, they came in and completely burnt and destroyed Jerusalem. So, before we get to Daniel 6, before we get to Daniel 6, he was there for 70 years, 70 years in the Babylonian Empire, and Jeremiah prophesied at the end of 70 years, that's when Babylonian Empire would be dissolved. Media Persia, look at the size of that empire. It was huge, they're in yellow. And he was there in the, around the very beginning when we get to Daniel, the sixth chapter, that's where Daniel's at. He's in Media Persia. He's been in exile for 70 years since he was a young boy. Now, to fully understand Daniel 6, you have to take a look at Daniel 1. So turn to Daniel 1 and look at verse 3. Nebuchadnezzar, remember I told you he wanted the finest young men to work in his courts. So look at the six characteristics that he was looking for in these young men. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Here they are. Number one, they were young. Youth, in whom was number two, no defect, who were number three, good-looking, number four, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom endowed with number five, understanding and discerning knowledge, and number six, who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And Daniel was one of those young men. But Daniel, you have to recognize that King Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to adopt the Chaldean language, their culture, and their eating of food. But listen to what Daniel did. When Nebuchadnezzar wanted him to do that, listen to the words found in verse 8. It's very powerful. It gives us a key to Daniel's life. Daniel made up his mind. If you have the King James Version, it says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. There it is. Daniel purposed in his heart. He made up his mind. He is a young teenager. Even though he came from Jerusalem, of people that were walking away from the Lord, there were people there that were pouring into Daniel's life. He knew the scriptures, didn't he? Because he says he purposed in his heart that he would not eat the king's food. He knew it was against. He knew Exodus, the 34th chapter, verses 14 and 15, as a young boy. I challenge you, if you know any young children, have them come to Vacation Bible School. When we get to chapter 6, and Daniel is an old man, 
It all started in Daniel 1. Daniel purposed in his heart. Let me ask you this question. What have you purposed in your heart? What are your priorities towards your wife, towards your children? Yes, and even me. I'm asking that question to myself towards my own grandchildren. Daniel started at a young age. Did it work? Yes, look at verse 9. God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Yes, he was in this pagan land under pagan propaganda. And he served in this pagan land. But you know, he never compromised his principles. He loved God with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his mind. And God, look where God placed him in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Turn to chapter 2. And look at verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. He did not sacrifice his principles, but yet God chose to raise him up because God had a perfect plan for Daniel's life. And we're going to see that in a few minutes. So, as we go to chapter 5, Belshazzar has succeeded Nebuchadnezzar. And it was prophesied by Daniel that very night, Belshazzar, you're going to die. And here come the media Persian Empire under King Darius. And that's exactly what happened. So as we come to Daniel, the sixth chapter, he's now 80 to 90 years old. He's walked with the Lord all of his life. And I want to make five observations with you before we look at the four marks of integrity that he had that I know all of us would have. I saw these four marks in my dad. I truly did. So I was, you know, very emotionally moved when I started studying about Daniel. So let's look at these five observations first, though. Number one, he worked more efficiently and capably than all the rest. Look at verse one and verse two. Here's how Darius set up his empire. He had 120 princes. They were called satraps. And they would, because he had a huge empire, as you could see. And then over those 120 were three commissioners. And Daniel was one of those three. And Daniel, just like with Nebuchadnezzar, caught Darius's eye. There's something different about Daniel. How well do we represent? How well do we represent God to our employer? Here he was in a pagan land under pagan propaganda, but he has this powerful influence, as we're going to see, that Daniel has over Darius because of his walk with his Lord. I'm reminded of 
Philippians, the second chapter, verses 14 through 16. Listen to these words. This is what we're to be when we go into the workplace. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will not have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. I want everyone to think, when you go into the workplace on Monday, I am going as whom you appear as lights in the world. Daniel was a light to Darius, this pagan king, to Nebuchadnezzar, to Belshazzar, and yes, later we're going to see even Cyrus. What's the second observation I see? Daniel made enemies at work by doing a good job. Have you ever been in that situation? You work really hard. God has called us to be good workers in the workplace. He wants us to do everything for his glory. Have you ever worked really hard? There might be other guys that work. Hey, hey, kind of slow down, you know, slow down. Look at verse 4. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was, was to be found in him. That sounds like he made some enemies, didn't he? They said, we've got to find out something wrong with this guy. Why? Because he worked so hard. He worked so hard. Look at verse 3. Look at the very end. At the very end of verse 3. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. God wants us to be above reproach when we go into the workplace. And he says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He was in this pagan culture, but he did not sacrifice his principles to his Lord. Here's the third thing we observation I notice. The jealous officials couldn't find anything about Daniel's life to criticize, so they begin to attack his faith. I mean, think about that for a minute. Read verse 5 with me. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. The question I ask to myself when I'm working in the workforce, am I like Daniel? Can, as people see me, how I carry on my day, they can't find anything wrong with this guy. They couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel. So they said, hey, let's try to find something about his faith. You know, in Titus, listen to Titus 2, 6 through 8. And Paul is telling Titus to tell this to the young men. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, have, having nothing bad to say about us. When you're in the workforce, when you're living for Christ 24-7, 
Do people say this about you? As Paul said, I want you to be, be beyond reproach. Who are your opponents? So that the opponent will put it to shame, having nothing bad to say about you. Who's your opponent? Do they have anything bad to say about you? Prayerfully, they don't. And say, hey, let's somehow, okay, let's start to try to attack his faith. So these men, they got together, they went to Darius, and they put up a plan. They had seen Daniel praying every day as they walked by probably to work. And so this is what they did. They went to King Darius and listened to the decree they wanted King Darius to do. Verse 7, follow me with verse 7. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. So they go to the king. And you'll notice in verse 6, these commissioners and satraps, they go to the king and they don't speak the truth to King Darius, do they? They don't speak the truth. Do you see th- anything in verse 7? Look at, look at the word all. Do you think Daniel was there with the commissioners? Do you think he was there with the satraps when they came up with this plan? No. Because Daniel, knowing who Daniel is, he would have spoke out against this, wouldn't he have? He would have spoken out. So, they set up this plan. The fourth observation I see is I see Daniel's devotion to his God. He did not compromise. He did not compromise. Look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now in his roof chamber. He had windows open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had done previously. So number four, the fourth observation, Daniel was totally devoted to his God. He knew what the decree was all about. He knew that he could end up in the lion's den. He did exactly what he always did. He didn't, he had always had his open window. The window was always open. He was always facing towards Jerusalem when he prayed. It says he continued as he had done previously. Do you hear that? He continued as he had done previously. May I take you back to chapter 1, verse 8? Daniel purposed in his heart as a young boy. And he made prayer a practice of his life. And now he's 80 to 90 years old. And he gets on his knees and he prays to his God three times a day. When he got on his knees, you see the submission, the act of submission to his God. Wouldn't it change our lives if we, if we had a disciplined prayer life? I mean, think about it. If we prayed when we first get up in the morning and we're going through a rough day and then we pray again right there when we have lunch. And then we go home, we pray. Is God going to make a difference in our life? He wants us completely. That's what Rob and Wes were trying to talk about, is digging deep and 
they, they were talking about really being a disciple of the Lord. You know, when Jesus Christ comes into our heart, it says that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He puts a want to in there that when we come in contact with the people, that by his strength, not our own strength, that we begin to live for our God. And we need to communicate with our God every day on a daily basis. How would you have responded to that decree? We're living in a time in which a decree similar to this might happen. He continued to give thanks. He could have done, he could have done this. Oh, I haven't been back to my homeland for 70 years. Da, 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 da. No, he gave thanks to God. He understood that he was serving a sovereign God, that he had him put him in that place for a particular reason. My fifth observation, King Darius, this pagan king, Daniel had made a difference in his life. We have no record of Daniel witnessing to him about his God. All we know is that Daniel purposed in his heart. But just through his life, he had a tremendous impact on Darius. So when he was put into prison and Darius found out about it, he was distressed, wasn't he? I mean, dis he was distressed. He, st he stayed up all night trying to get Daniel out so he wouldn't have to go to the lion's den. But he also knew just by his walk, by Daniel's walk, he said, Daniel, God will deliver you. Darius said, God will deliver you. Look at the impact Daniel had on King Darius. Read with me verse 14. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel and even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. And verse 16, then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. Then the king spoke and said to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. He had watched Daniel he had such a close walk. Do other people see that in us? Wow. Do the people who come in contact with us see that as Darius said in verse 16, he is constantly serving his God. Do people see that in us? Are you aware of the effect you can have on a non-Christian as they watch you live your life? Do you know that people are watching you? Every day they're watching you. Listen to verse 10. As he had been doing previously. So, with all of this background, then what are the four marks of Daniel's integrity? The first one, we can find it in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Do you see where it says, he had an extraordinary spirit? That's Hebrew word is ruwash. It means he had an extraordinary... If you have King James... He had an excellent spirit. He had an excellent attitude. He had an excellent mind. Darius saw that there was a difference in Daniel. He had an impact on him. I'm recalled when Jesus was on the cross for six hours. There was a man there standing watching all of it for six hours. And he had, he had put many a people on the cross. And he observed Jesus for those six hours. And he says, truly, this is the Son of God. When we go to work, 
Do we have an excellent attitude? Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. And when you abide in me and I in you and you rely upon my spirit who dwells within you, you're going to bear much fruit. People are going to see the fruits of my spirit in you. That of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Daniel had an excellent attitude. Number two, he was faithful. Look at verse four. He was faithful. That word is aman. In the setting, it means that he was faithful in his work, in his work for Darius. But we all know that he was faithful, not only in his work, but he was so faithful to his God. See, that word aman means he was steadfast. He was sure. You could count on Daniel. Darius could count on Daniel. God could count on Daniel because Daniel had a purpose. And God, he may not have known, Daniel may not have completely understand it, but we now looking back can see the purpose in Daniel's life. Number three, he had a personal purity about himself. Look there in verse four also. There was no negligence or corruption in his work for Darius and also in his work for his, his God. If you have King James, it says there was no error or fault in him. Even the commissioners who were jealous said they did a background check. We can't find anything wrong with this guy. God is calling us to abide in him and live for him so that we might reach others for Christ. It's not going to do us any good to witness about Christ if people don't first see Christ in us first. And here's the last one, fourth. He had a consistent walk with God. Look at verse 10. As he had done previously, his walk never changed. He came to Babylon as a young man, and now as an 80 to 90 year old, he had a great reputation inside and outside. He was a man that got on his knees. He could say, as Elijah said, I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. I cannot read, I cannot read First Peter, the second chapter, without thinking of Daniel. And I want you to see what that looks like. Would you open, turn to the right, to the New Testament, towards the back, you go to Hebrews, James, and I'd like to close with First Peter, the second chapter. Daniel is all over First Peter 2. And we're going to start at verse 13. The first thing I want you to look at, we're to submit to human institutions. But when the law of the land is contrary to the law of God, God does not want us to compromise our faith. First Peter 2, it says, verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in his authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. In a pagan land, 
Daniel submitted himself to Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, to Darius, to Cyrus, but he did not compromise his faith. Number two, look at verse 15. We are to commit our lives to integrity, doing what is right. I think of Daniel. He, he got punished for doing what was right. Listen to 1 Peter 2.15. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. He did what was right. They could find no ground of accusation against Daniel. And look at 1 Peter 2.18 and 19. We must be willing to suffer unjustly for our Lord, just like Daniel did. Listen to the words. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience, towards God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. That was Daniel. Not one word do we hear about Daniel complaining. He had put his trust in the sovereign God, which brings me to number four, which is found in verse 20. Favor with God is found when we're treated unfairly. We realize that we're in the sovereign care of the Heavenly Father. Listen to this. For what credit is there if when you sin are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right, that's just like Daniel, and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Daniel, I'm sure, didn't completely understand all that he was going through. But if you look at Daniel, back to Daniel, the 10th chapter and verse 11, look what our Lord says about Daniel. Daniel was one of those rare individuals who whether he was standing in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar or Darius, or whether he was kneeling before the God of this universe, he never changed. In chapter 10, verse 11, I believe this is Gabriel speaking because speaking for God, because in chapter 9, verse 23, it, it uses the same terminology. It says, Daniel is a man greatly beloved, if you have the King James Version. New American Standard, Daniel is a man of high esteem. Daniel was a man of character. Do you know there's a difference between reputation and character? Reputation is how men see us. Character is how God sees us. The word Daniel means God is my judge. As God is his ju judge, Daniel was a man of high esteem and character. This is a, to be an encouraging message to you, us men, to be men of character to our families and, and, and in the workplace. Do you realize that Daniel is in the hall of fame of the scriptures? And you can read about that in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. But tell me, I think we get a result we can look back and see the result of all that Daniel went through. Yes, God, as we all know from that, God did save him for a reason. And I found out as I got deeper into the study of God's word, why Daniel went through all of this. He had such a powerful influence on Darius and Cyrus. 
look at the end of chapter 6, and I'm going to close. Look at verse 26. This is, can you believe it? This is a pagan king, Darius, speaking. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lion? Did Daniel have an effect on this pagan king? Oh my. But then you can almost skip over verse 28. But verse 28 ties it all together. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Did you get that? Not only did he have an effect on Darius, he had an effect on Cyrus. When you read, I'd like for you to read Ezra, the first chapter this afternoon. He had a powerful effect on Cyrus. It was in the first year of Cyrus that he had the Israelites go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And Nebuchadnezzar had kept all of the treasury from the temple. And so had Darius kept it. And Cyrus, he gave them back the treasury to take back this one solitary man had such an impact that the Israelites were able to go back and rebuild. God had a purpose in Daniel's life. And he wants to work the same way in you and in me. We can make a difference in our generation, one person at a time. One person at a time. Look at what Daniel did with Darius and Cyrus. Yes, Daniel was a man of purpose and prayer who had an extraordinary spirit, was faithful to God and to people, lived a pure life, and had a consistent walk with his God. Father, I thank you for the example of Daniel. I thank you for these, your children, who've come out there on a Sunday morning, Father, just to worship you and to praise you and to lift you up. Father, thank you for your word, how it encourages us. It encourages us to stand for you and live for you, whether we're here at church or at home with our families or whether we're in the workplace, that we'll do as we had done previously. I ask your blessings upon these men as they celebrate Father's Day. I may this afternoon be a great time of just fellowship with their families. These things we ask in your son's name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming and have a, have a great weekend, all right?